Greetings, listeners. Welcome to the Postgrad Cheat Sheet. This is the podcast where we dive into all the questions about transitioning to your professional career and all those difficult unspoken topics. My name is Dr. Maria Scott, and I'm a PR professional and a professor. Welcome to the Postgrad Cheat Sheet. I am your host, Dr. Scott, and we actually have a new co-host today. So before I get too far into our episode, I have Ananya with me as always, and we have a new co-host, Daniela. So Daniela, would you like to say hello and introduce yourself and tell the audience a little bit about you? I would love to. Hello, audience. My name is Daniela. I am a senior public relations major. I'm originally from Oahu, Hawaii. Um, or Hawaii, as we say it on the mainland, so that's fun. I feel like that'll give me a real different perspective to bring in for you all. Nice. All right. So we're going to talk about the power of your people skills. We've done a couple episodes now where we've attacked different parts of the Cal Sutliff book. And for this one, I, I actually, we have two important characters that we're going to discuss, Harry and Connie. And... The first one I want to start with is the Dragging Harry story. So, Daniela, do you want to start by sharing the Dragging Harry story? I would love to. So, if I remember correctly, the story is about a group of men who go out golfing, and in the middle of their game, their friend Harry just drops dead, and they have to drag him around for the remainder of their golf game. Um, it's obvious that he's there, but they're not really doing much about it. Yeah, so they, it's such an absurd story. I think that that's part of why Cal liked it so much. And when we would teach this in group settings, it was really interesting to watch people's response because they'd almost be like offended that these people just don't get Harry help or like, I mean, we actually did this one with medical professionals once and looking at their faces was actually <laughs> sort of like, they were kind of appalled. But the funny part was, very matter of fact, as though this is so normal when they were just like, why would they not stop? Why would they not just like go get help? And Cal's response was like, well, he's dead. And it was so matter of fact that like it almost like the room almost got like extra quiet because of that. But of course, we understand that this is an analogy and it's supposed to make us think of the idea that we all have things that suddenly happen and we just like pick them up keep moving forward, never address them, and then we're carrying them around with us for the rest of our lives, even though these things are kind of a extreme burden to us. So that's kind of the moral of the story. Did you have any other takeaway that you wanted to add? I, I see, Daniela, that you kind of had a comment about it. So what, what, what other takeaway might you have had? Um, my takeaway is definitely that we all have like put a quote Harry's that we drag around with us and it's a bit of a burden to be carrying something with us and I think based off of what you were just saying it's also a little bit obvious like why not do something about it right yeah absolutely so what are some Harry's that you might identify or see someone else carrying that's like a Harry and you're like wow that person's really carrying something with them there any anything you want to add Ananya yeah, um, I think that's a really good question, and I think the absurdity, like you said, is a good way to highlight how absurd it is to carry these things around with us. Um, I know for me personally, I was carrying around several carries. When I first came to college, I constantly compared myself to my peers. I thought I was stupid. I had a little bit of a victim mindset, which I think was my biggest carry, was carrying around that like idea 
that I'm a victim. And it probably didn't help that all of this was during the pandemic and very limited human interaction. Um, so I think that kind of made my hairies grow. Go back and explain what you mean by a victim mindset, because I don't think you're the only person who has that. So share with our audience, if you if you feel comfortable to, a little bit more about what that means. You don't have to get into a ton of details, but... No, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's kind of like what we were talking about, Well, what we'll talk about on a future episode, I believe, but... Um, everyone has things that happen to them in life. Like, you know, it's the, um, it's a byproduct of living Bad Mm -hmm. things happen. And I think I took a lot of the negative experiences that I had in high school and I let those experiences define me. I was like, this is the kind of person that I am or, Oh, I, this, this thing that happened to me that sucks. I'm going to just carry it around and I'm going to, I'm going to constantly think about how much this sucks. A lot of them had to do with things that I couldn't change. Like, for example, my identity. Mm-hmm. When I came to Boston, I wasn't around, like, as much of a, um, as a diverse, it wasn't very diverse here, mm-hmm. to, like, my home. And that came with, like, the, you know, it was an adjustment, and it wasn't, like, always super pleasant. And for my first year, I was so focused on, I'm different, and everyone must view me this way. And I, when in reality, that's not true. Like not everyone looks at me and views me like the way that is like in a way that's negative based on my identity. By me carrying around that assumption, I closed myself off to so many friendships. I closed myself off to so many opportunities for even like professional growth. Um, so that's what I mean by victim mindset, mm-hmm. where I let like a negative experience that had a valid like basis. Like it's hard to, you know, um, adjust to different environments and Mm -hmm. like it's hard to be part of marginalized communities and all that but if you let that experience the negative aspect of it define you I think that's what makes a victim mindset yeah that's a really good thing and thank you for sharing that um Daniela would you like to add anything to this yeah sure I think I was in a really similar boat to Amanya I've had a lot of Harry's throughout my life and definitely different ones depending on what part of my life I was in. In high school, I was a person very stubborn and I like desperately wanted to prove that my ways and my thoughts, whatever I was thinking was right all the time. Um, Everyone else was wrong. It doesn't matter who it was. I had to be right. Um, When I first came into college, I was like so uber obsessed and like worried about what everyone thought of me similarly because I came from just like Mm -hmm. a place where it was so different from Boston and even recently like I find myself wanting to have control over all of my workplaces in life and all of these things I feel you could definitely classify as Harry's. Yeah absolutely. I want to add one just because from my observations and from my viewpoint that I see a lot of young people caring whether it be an intern who worked for me, students I have. One of the things that kind of scares me in terms of being a Harry that people are carrying they'll take one experience that happened to them. So they had an internship and at the internship, they didn't feel seen or heard. So they're going to come into this next experience in their life, like a bull in a China shop. And they're just going to be almost be like yelling their ideas and screaming their ideas. And to me, that's almost like adding. So if we look at Harry as being like a living, breathing thing, right? Like you have another person around your shoulders that you're dragging behind you as you walk. If you take every experience you have and everything like kind of what Ananya was saying in terms of her victim mentality, not necessarily just being the victim, but 
every experience you have, if there's a little bit of a negative element to it, you're kind of holding on to that neg negative element. You're picking it up and scooping it up and kind of sticking it on your shoulder. And now you're going to bring that into your next experience. It really is a version of dragging all these Harry's with you because at some point you're going to have so many negative experiences lobbed on your back that you're just going to go into everything and you're almost going to self-sabotage because you're walking in with this uh, opinion and this set of circumstances where nothing can possibly go right because no one ever listens to me. And because of my age, I'm not taken seriously. And because I'm a woman, this isn't happening. Or because of my gender, because of my identity, because of this, all of these things are wrong. And, and then what's going to happen is when there really is a good opportunity, that's going to be missed by you. And I think that the important thing to me about dragging Harry's is it's a little bit of we all recognize that everyone has some scars and everyone has some experiences that could impact their life. So it's not fair for us to assume everything's going to be the same, right? And so the funny part about this is one of the students who I think this was the most obvious, I had them come to work for me and they came in with this very specific persona that was very different than the persona I knew them as a class, a student in my classroom. Now they're out in the real world working for me at a live event with other people present and they have this almost totally different, it was kind of Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde kind of personality. <laughs> and it was very weird because it was just not what I was expecting. Because they had this other persona, it really made the client that we were working for that day have a very negative opinion of them. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't my opinion at all. And the client almost said to me, like, I'm surprised you would bring this person to work here. And that's hard for me because that's not the student I knew in my class. And I basically said to them, like, you know, the per the way this person presented to me in class was a little different than what we saw today. And I'm, I'm apologetic that this was not what you were hoping for and not up to the standard. You know, I'll do my best to kind of read that. And the person said, no, 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 like, I don't totally blame you. But like we have to be really careful with who we put in this environment. And I was like, yeah, absolutely. And I remember when I pulled the student aside and had this conversation with them, the funny part about it is their first statement was, well, why would they say that about me? Like, that's making them prejudge me. And I was like, hold on one minute. And they said, yes. And I said, didn't you come into this with a whole bunch of prejudgments about what you thought this experience would be? And they said, yes. And I said, that isn't it a little hypocritical that you're now so upset that this person didn't even prejudge you. They judged you on your actual behavior. And you're super mad at this because you came in with prejudgments and you came in acting a certain way based on something that was completely unfounded. This organization is nothing like the one that you dealt with that you had issues with. These people were nothing like that. And I said, if you can show me one person today that was anything other than polite and professional to you, I will bite my tongue. And they said, no, you're right. And I was like, so let's just be really careful about what we're saying here, you know? And the person really had to go through, because I said, you know, unfortunately, I can't bring you back to any of these events. Also, because this person that we just worked for is now really good friends with another one of our clients. We're not going to bring you to those events either because they talk to each other. And there's no chance that this person's not going to share this, this fun little story with their friend. So I was like, so now you have two events I can't bring you to until we resolve these issues that you're having. And I said, so let's work on this together. The really good news was we had an event coming up that they had no preconceptions about. <laughs> they couldn't go in saying any one thing or the other. And I asked the person very nicely, look, when we go to work this, I want you to go in with a completely open mind and be willing to just 
learn and embrace and have this brand new experience and let's see how that feels to you. If it makes you super uncomfortable, then we have a different set of things we need to work through. The person did. It did make them a little uncomfortable, but not in a way that was going to prevent them from ever doing it again. It almost made them a little excited, like kind of like if you've never been skydiving before and you're like, I'm going to try this. This seems scary, but like, who knows? I may love it. You know what I mean? And that was really there. So they really went into everything else with that atmosphere. And then now we are a year later, we have to go back to that same event. This person's still working for me. And I had to call that the person back and say, look, I need to bring the student back. They really want to redeem themselves. They really want to apologize to you personally. They've done a lot of self-reflection and a lot of work. And I'm pretty sure the person you see this time won't be the same as what you saw before. And luckily this adult who had gotten rid of all of their Harry's in their past life and whatever, was really good at saying, absolutely, I have no problem giving someone a second chance. I'm welcoming that back with open arms, no problem. I don't know that that always happens in our life. I don't know that we're always that lucky. Anything else you want to add to this particular topic before we move on to meeting our second character, which is Connie? I feel like it's interesting that you like bring up that situation specifically. I feel like for our class, we were assigned to read this book over summer, and I think that really helped me because I honestly still like struggle with carrying this Harry, but I'm just, I've never been a really good team setting person when it comes to workspaces that blend personal and professional often. And so I went into this like team setting that I had over summer and I was like, I'm like literally gonna hate this. Everyone's gonna hate me because I'm like, this is professional over here. And they're all like, let's have fun, let's be friends. And I'm like, I wanna do my job. And so I go into like this office and I'm like, oh, like this is gonna be terrible. And I'm literally like set to read this chapter about like Harry's. And so I had to like have a big mindset shift about it. And I feel like it helped a lot, but like, I feel like talking about this really just brings up the point that it's obvious not just to like yourself that you're carrying this but it's so obvious to other people when you're dragging around this preconception of things that you Mm -hmm. may have experienced once and that's why you have this preconception but like who's to say it's going to happen in every situation moving forward Mm -hmm. and Nanya anything you want to add yeah I mean I agree with everything that you said Daniela and I think the key really lies with Harry's and like active self-evaluation mm-hmm. you have to really evaluate and it honestly connects to everything that we've talked about on this podcast so far that's like related to like you know becoming a better professional and a better person if you don't like go through your beliefs and think about like okay what's their impact on me like what purpose does it serve in my life then you you're it's very possible that you'll you'll carry around a ton of harry's and as we'll talk about in a couple of seconds maybe a couple warts too Yeah, absolutely. I just want to say the one parting thing before we move on to Connie is be really careful because you may be in a situation where you've kind of come to grips with some of the Harry's you carry, but this first work opportunity you have, you may see others that are just really labored down and really burdened down by the Harry's that they're carrying. And as much as we want to help sometimes, there's moments where we can and there's a great opportunity that presents itself. And then there's others where, you know, I've actually tried to help someone who had a Harry before and it really backfired and it actually cost me a potential closer relationship with a work colleague. I don't know this person and I were ever destined to be friends, but I think we would have been closer workmates as opposed to very distant workmates, which is what we became. And 
I learned very quickly that like my job in life is not to fix everybody else. My job in life is to be there when someone wants to be, once needs help or wants something, and then I can be a really good support person. But it was really hard for me to get past because I felt terrible, but I also felt like I still was doing the right thing. And it took me a long time to kind of get rid of that feeling. So I just wanted to kind of put that out there. All right. So let's transition to our Connie story. Who wants to tell me the Connie's wart story? I actually really love this story, and I feel like I've used it in my life and told several people about it since I read it, so I would love to. Um, so it's basically the story that this woman, Connie, has this wart on her finger, and it drives her nuts, and she's always paying attention to it, always trying to get rid of it, like, scrape it off, do whatever she can. But over time, she diminishes the impact it has on her, and it she just like stops thinking about it and stops like paying attention to it. She looks at it and is like, you know what, you're here, and I can't really do anything about it. And that just like resolved it. Like eventually, in like two weeks, past her like ignoring it, she notices that it's gone, and she didn't notice it before because that's what happens when you just stop obsessing over it. That's a really good explanation of the Connie's word story. I think it's really important for us to address the impact of sort of self-talk or even just learning how to shift what you're focusing on. Before I go too far into this, is there anything you want to add, Ananya, at this point? Um, yeah, just a really quick thing is that like in the Connie's word story that you're talking about, the first step, I think, is like she, like Daniela said, like she acknowledged that it existed. So it's not just like complete ignorance. Mm -hmm. You definitely have to be like, yes, there's a war. Right. Make your peace with it and then move on. Right. Instead of like, you can't, to go back to our like, hey, there's a moose in the room example, you can't just pretend that it's not there. Right. You have to acknowledge it first. Yeah. So I think that the my favorite part about this story, and again, kind of involved in this, the teachings that surround this, we all have things that we would really like to change, or we all have things that kind of drive us crazy. The best thing we can learn how to do is sort of just to say like, okay, I have to take the train every day. The train smells weird. I have to sit next to people I don't like. Do you know what I mean? There's all these things you don't like, but your resolution is, look, I have to take the train every day. I have to find a way to make this more pleasant for myself and start diminishing this negative impact that it's happening on me because I have to take the train every day. Do you know what I mean? And like, that's just, that's just where we're at. So I know when I first, so I didn't really grow up in a city that had public transportation. And when I first moved to one that did, and I had to start taking the train, which was, I didn't have to, I could have found another way, but the other way would have been like twice as much time and much more labor and wildly expensive. And it was just gonna, there was a whole bunch of extra pieces to this. I wasn't someone who grew up used to taking public transportation like a train. And so the first couple times, things were driving me so crazy. Like I tried to bring a book. I tried to focus on other things and I just couldn't get my mind to settle. And I was like, okay, this is ridiculous. Like there has to be a solution here. And I ended up finding a very similar story. I unfortunately didn't know Calvin, but I ended up finding another very similar situation. And I remember getting on the train one day and my stop was kind of toward the end. So in the mornings, it was one of the first stops. So like if you're reversing back from the city and I was on a car that had no one else in my car with me. And I remember getting on and I just looked at it and I said, I have to be here. I would like for you to want me here. And I didn't realize that the guy who comes in to like check your 
like tag or your ticket was actually in the car with me. So he walks in and he goes, I do want you here. And I was like, I was actually just talking to the train in general, just to sort of make myself feel better. But the fact that he sort of said that actually did make me feel better. And I was like, thank you. And I said, I'm sorry, I'm just not used to riding public transportation. And this has been a really hard shift for me. And the guy was like, oh, yeah, no, I moved from a city that didn't have this either. And now I work here. Like, isn't that crazy? And I think just having that simple conversation with another person really made me feel so much better. And he actually said, like, yeah, if you sit in this car every time, like, this is what I keep it really clean. Like, this is one of the cleanest ones, you know, like. And so it was just it was a big shift in my mindset. And I actually went from like almost lamenting and almost like hating that I had to sit on the train to like liking to get on in the morning and like he'd wave good morning to me and like it really shifted my thought and I never thought about it again the fact that like that wasn't my favorite thing and even my mom who had heard me complain about it one of the first couple times later she was like I never hear you complaining about this anymore and I was like oh yeah no that's that's long since changed and I think that that's kind of the point that the story's trying to get to we really need to embrace the idea that self-talk can make a huge difference in our lives and so I want to talk about a couple benefits of self-talk and I downloaded a couple different lists and this is kind of an amalgamation of the list that I ended up finding. But a lot of research shows that positive self-talk can do things like improving self-esteem. It can help you manage stress. It can overall positively impact your well-being. It can actually reduce symptoms like depression, anxiety, and even personality disorders. So there's people who I know that get really anxious and say that they'll have like an anxiety disorder. And part of me always is like, well, have you ever tried self-talk? Have you ever tried to talk yourself out of having anxiety in these areas? And I don't know that people can always believe that self-talk is this powerful, but it can actually help you with your body image. So there's a lot of things that people do, tr tricks that therapists will do with people who have eating disorders and actually saying to themselves, I am beautiful, I am the weight I am supposed to be, I look beautiful just as I am. And those things can have a really amazing impact. Same thing with, with reducing the risk of self-harm and suicide. There was a campaign that students and I had done in the past about bullying and all the negative things that were said on bullying. So. I said what we were going to do in class one day was where we were going to repeat all these words that we had seen. So there was like a cyberbullying case that happened and all this other stuff. And they looked up all these terrible words that were said in, in bullying cases. I said, we're going to mention them in class and then we're never going to mention them again. We're going to do it this one day. And then every day after that, we're going to start the class with this list of positive words that you can share with other people. Have a great day. You look beautiful. You look wonderful. Like all these positive things. And it really impacted the students so, like they came out of this class saying, wow, this is like totally different. Like my whole mindset's changed. Like I was really depressed going into the semester and like even my mood has helped. And so, you know, someone who's really struggling with something like being bullied or something like where they're just really in a deep, dark hole, this is something that can really impact them in a positive way is really learning how to master self-talk. It can actually help with things like people who feel like their life is spiraling out of control and they have no control over it. They can start to pinpoint, you know, I have control over this one thing. I can control buying, going to buy a coffee. I can control what time I get up in the morning. You know what I mean? And they can start to really pinpoint that. There's people where it's helped them with chronic pain. There's people where they've been able to say, this doesn't hurt as much as I think it does. Do you know what I mean? Like I'm really kind of like your victimization version. There's people who actually 
almost, in, I don't want to say like invent medical problems, but they really exacerbate the medical problem that they were given mm-hmm. by really leaning into it as opposed to leaning away from it and doing positive self-talk. Yeah. Same thing with motivating yourself to overcome obstacles. Um, and then the last one is obviously it can really help you with just calming yourself. And I think that these are really cool practices. So I guess my next question to you both is like, what do you think how do you think you could turn something that's been negative either in your own life or what you've seen from someone just by positive self-talk? Like, do you have any good examples? Is there anything that you would like to share? Um, I could definitely talk on this and just like listening to you speak about this. I think there have been so many points in my life where I've probably changed the pathway I was going down because of positive talk without knowing it was that. Um, I have a really bad social anxiety disorder, so I went, I went through like years of therapy where we tried like all these different things, but it just didn't work because in my head I was always like, I could recognize the fact I was like, I'm doing this because I have anxiety, I have anxiety, I have anxiety, and I think like at some point during my maybe like junior year of college, I was just like, you, you know what like I have anxiety and also I'm so cool and fun and mm-hmm. I was like I like I'm not cool and fun all the time but I walk into a room and you know what I'm kind of silly and that's okay and I'm like I don't think anyone's gonna look at me weird because I'm eating in the dining hall by myself it's not that serious and that's like my biggest thing is I go it's not that serious because when I'm having anxiety like my one thing is I'm always like this is so serious like I take everything so seriously like this is gonna have such a big impact and it's not and I think when I realized that like that helped with my anxiety I started doing that with just about like everything and I think it really changed a lot both in my personal and professional life because Mm -hmm. it really just gave me the mindset about moving forward and I think moving forward is such an important thing that can be really aided with self-positive talk Mm -hmm. and Nanya yeah again totally agree with what you're saying for me um, the practical application of self-talk is through writing. So I do this thing called Morning Pages. I'm sure like some of you have heard of it. It's from Julia Cameron's book, The Artist's Way. And um, so I start every morning and I do three pages of like freehand writing. Obviously, that's a little bit intense. Not everyone like should or needs to do that. But for me, it's really great because that is quite literally when I get to talk to myself. There's no one else who reads it. It's just me and the pages, and I, you know, it's really good for like working through things. Um, another thing, another thing that I notice is like my self talk goes on whether I want it to or not. Like you have an internal script, so it's not even about like whether you should or you shouldn't. Like you are talking to yourself. It's about like what are you saying, and mm-hmm. ideally you don't want to say negative things to yourself. For me. The positive self-talk does not equal delusional. So, like, when I talk to myself positively, what has been really helpful um, was not being like, oh, my God, I'm the best person ever, and I don't do anything wrong ever. Like, that, if I say things like that to myself, that's just delusion, and I don't feel, like, actually comforted (laughs) by it. What was really helpful, and this is a technique that I learned in, like, cognitive, cognitive behavioral therapy, one of the best therapists I ever had was I had this moment where I was super anxious to go to the gym because there was this like group of high schoolers like at the front desk who was um and they were they went to my school and you know we had like like personal friendships whatever and I was always like oh my god like what if they're talking about me and everyone would be like no they're not talking about you like no they don't care and like yes sure my therapist when we sat down she was like okay like they could be then what 
So my positive self-talk really follows that format where it's kind of just like, okay, like the world is going to be the world and people are going to do things. And it goes back to what you were saying about control. But me, like I personally, this is how I want to show up in the world. Then this is how, and if I'm not meeting that, then I like try to have like empathy and compassion for myself as I'm growing. And I keep reminding myself like, I'm 21. I'm going to, I'm going to get there at some point. So yeah, I just, I feel like I covered a lot in this, um, in, in what I just said, but positive self-talk has been super, super life-changing for me. And I think writing is a really good, like practical application of that. Yeah, I think that's also a little bit of like a gateway or entry point. There's a lot of people who literally can't look at themselves in the mirror and be like, you're beautiful today. And they can't, they really can't start with getting that out. So a really great entryway step to do that is to put it on paper and to write that down. It's a little less of like literally looking at yourself and saying these things. So I think that those are both really good examples. So I've had first impressions of both of you because I got to meet you both as students of mine. And like, I had you in class, Daniela, and until one day when you actually told me that you were gonna miss class and why, my impression of you had nothing to do with any of the negative things that you probably were thinking in your head that people do think about you. Like, I never knew that you had a social disorder. If anything, I was like, wow, she's she's really well-rounded, she's really social. Like, I don't think that you're necessarily the most talkative person in my class, but you're definitely not the least talkative either. You're somewhere right in the middle, which is a fine place to be. That's crazy because I always feel like I'm like talking way too much. And that's like one of the things where I try to like tell myself, I'm like, I'm talking. I'm not talking too little or I'm not talking too much. I'm just talking and it's okay to give my opinion at times. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that like, I, I think that everyone has self-doubts. I think that unfortunately your generation is plagued with having a little bit more of them. And I think that I don't necessarily know, a lot of therapists will say that, or a lot of people will say that there's more people in Gen Z that are diagnosed with things like ADHD and stuff like that. And the problem is that we don't have a lot of the data that actually supports that because there's a lot of older people that probably do have these things and we're never diagnosed with them. But because your generation was such a highly diagnosed generation, I worry sometimes that labels don't actually help you. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? So I worry sometimes that I'm not saying that someone who's going to be 45 right now who was never diagnosed with ADHD doesn't still have some of the behaviors, but because they were never told that they had this, they've just been living their life like, okay, I have a little bit of anxiety here, or it's hard for me to calm down here. It's hard for me to control my thoughts at this point. But because they didn't have like a label to put on it, I don't know that they wore it kind of like a badge. Like mm -hmm. I I had students sometimes that it's, I almost felt like they were walking in like a Girl Scouts sash <laughs> and they were just like, here's, I have this wrong with me and I have this and I have this and I have this and I have this. Yeah. And this is all the stuff that defines me oh, as yeah. opposed to me just saying, you're just a college freshman. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Like, do you know what I mean? <laughs> like funny. some of these things that you have, Okay, I'm not discounting that they're actual labels given to you, but I worry a little bit that you're wearing these labels like it's a badge and it's the only thing that makes you who you are. Yeah. The reality is you're a college freshman. Yeah. You're going to be confused. You're going to be lost. You're going to be like wandering about the world. You're going to be have filled with self-doubt. You're going to be comparing yourself to other new people who you just met for the first time. Yeah. These are all things that every other person is also experiencing. And the more that you harp on it and say like, oh my God, I'm the only one going through this. And, and I feel this way only because of the 10 badges on my chest. Yeah. Like 
part of me worries sometimes that that's almost the opposite of Connie's word, that you're like, no, there's something wrong with my brain. I don't work the same. You know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. I had a student who sat down with me to talk about their neurodiversity and the way that they handled challenges. Mm -hmm. And, like, she went through this 30-minute long speech. And at the end of it, she's just like, I just don't know that I can be successful in your class because your class requires so many rules. And I was like, okay. And so she sat there. <laughs> like, my response was literally, okay. Yeah. And she goes, okay, but like, that really scares me and all of these things. And I was like, there's not a lot of conversation that we have to have here. And I said, look, like, if you feel that because you your your brain doesn't work the same way you can't present the materials i'm asking for i'm not going to force you to stay in this class i don't have a stake in this game like if you want to change majors and you want to not take this and you want to go around this path i don't have a fundamental problem with that i think that you're not challenging yourself to rise above these yeah. things but that's my personal opinion do you know what i mean like i'm not going to force you to do anything that you don't want to do that's not my job my job is if you're in if you take my class and you come in my job is to work with you the best of your ability to get you to where you need to be so that you can be competitive within the degree that I'm giving you or that the college that I work for is giving you. Do you know what I mean? And I said, so I don't need to have a 30 minute conversation about your neurodiverse differences. Like it's fine. I'm accepting of those. I appreciate them. I will do whatever I need to do to accommodate them in my class. But I'm one, I'm not changing my curriculum for you. And I don't know if that's the point that you were aiming for. And two, like the world keeps going, whether your neurodiversity brain works within that world or doesn't, you need to find a path that's going to work for you. Do you know what I mean? Like I'm the first person to say my brain doesn't work the same as everyone else's. I'm okay with that. I've come to grips with that a really long time ago. I had friends that I was in classes with that were far smarter than I was. And I would always sit there going like, how are they getting this? And I'm not like, why are they, why is this, why is my brain not capturing this and everyone else's is, and this is making me very frustrated. And then I would leave that classroom, go into the very next classroom. And I was the person getting everything and no one else was. And I think because I had that experience really, really young, it was really able for me to be like, okay, so clearly everyone's brains do not work the same. Not that I really thought that they did before, but I kind of thought that like all smart people were just all smart people. Do you know what I mean? And yeah. like all people who were kind of average intelligence were just like, there was just larger groups as opposed to a whole bunch of subgroups within those. Like, yeah. I don't think until I really saw it happen to me that I really understood that like, no, 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 within these groups, there's even groups within those groups and with more groups within those. Mm -hmm. And I really had to sit there and be like, oh, and I was like, maybe someday I'll find the people that are like in the herd that I'm more like. And it's okay if I don't. It's okay if I, f I never find the people that their brain works the exact same way that mine does. Maybe I won't ever find a bunch of people like that. Maybe I will. Like maybe this will all come to pass. But I just had to be okay that I was in some classes where everybody else got it. And I was like the gazelle at the back of the herd. And I was just like, okay, like I'm just going to be the slow gazelle in this class. Like... You know, and it didn't do great for my self-esteem at some points. Like there were some points where it really made me ask questions and it really made my mom worry too, because my mom was like, I'm really worried if you're not doing well, it's going to impact like your overall mental health, you know? And so I actually actively, when I was in high school, chose to take myself out of some more advanced classes that just my brain did not work this way. 
And when I got in there, like it moved at a pace that my brain was happy with. And I was like, huh. Now I didn't know anyone in the class because I had never been in class with any of these students for like my entire high school career. And they all like, one of them looked at me and they're like, shouldn't you be in like these other classes? And I was like, nope, this is exactly where I belong. I belong here. Mm -hmm. And the person was like, huh. And they're like, what is your next class? And when I said the next class, it was like, I was a sophomore. I was in the next class with like all seniors. And they're like, yeah, see, that's my point. Shouldn't you? And I'm like, no, math is not my thing. My brain does not <laughs> work. I was thinking. I know. Yeah. I was like, this is me. I was like, math is not my thing. Science was. Everything else was just not that. And I was like, this is where I belong. And I had to be okay with that. And I think, I think that sometimes people worry that like they're the only version of themselves. Like they're the only person who has to overcome these things. There's tons of people that do. We have a whole center d devoted here to like student assist assistance and yeah. making sure that people who have a little bit of differences are able to find a way for them to be successful. And I think that that's also part of Connie's war is like if Connie had sat there and been like, oh, my God, I'm so different. No one else thinks like me. Like, I can't do this. Yeah. That's going to isolate you more and more and more yeah, and more absolutely. over time. All right. So I want to ask you both, what are your takeaways for this episode? Um, so since you're new with us, Danielle, I'm going to start with Ananya and let you hear awesome. what she says and then let you come up with what you want to say. Yeah. So I think my takeaway is really going to be centered more on the Connie, Connie side of things. Um, our generation definitely has like a tendency to like put a label on like almost every aspect of our identity and sure, like that's fine, but don't let those labels like hold you back is my takeaway. Like they can be helpful in identifying like, okay, I have ADHD, so I have X, Y, Z, one, two, three to work on. Um, but you have to actually work on those things. You can't mm -hmm. just be like, I have ADHD and this is my label and everything sucks and, you know, go into that like Connie's sport thing where you're just, I guess the opposite. You're just hyper fixating on that ward and how it sucks that you have that. Mm -hmm. All right, Daniela, what is your takeaway? Um, I think my takeaway would be kind of touching on both Harry and Connie is that a lot of people have something to deal with, whether it's big, like, dragging something around like a dead body that's super noticeable or whether it's like something as small as a word that you have to acknowledge. I think that every person is going to be going through something, whether or not it's something that you yourself are noticing. So I think it's just really important to like not be so hard on yourself because you're going through something and because you have like these things that you have to acknowledge and work on. It doesn't mean that you're being terrible or you're so behind and things like that. It's just something that you have to work on and get better at. And that's okay because you know what? Probably the person next to you is also doing the same thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Nice. Very good. All right. My quick takeaway is just remember that the Harry's that you kind of come across in life, like there's going to be a day where you're out playing golf with your buddies and one of them dies. And the question <laughs> becomes, do you continue to carry that person around with you? Or do you do kind of what everyone in that room when we did this training said, like, why would you not go get help? Why would you not do this? Just these things that happen to you, they don't have to become a burden for the rest of your life. You can excise them. You can deal with them right there. And then you can move on. And the more you start to rid yourself of the Harry's, the lighter and lighter and lighter you become, the less burdens you start carrying around with you, the, the more you can focus on the things that you want to truly matter in your life. So that would be my takeaway. 
All right, join us for the next episode of the Postgrad Cheat Sheet, and we'll have Daniellis back several times before this <laughs> season is over. Thanks for joining us for the Postgrad Cheat Sheet. Click in our description and visit the website to see our upcoming topics so you can submit your unspoken questions. Connect with us on LinkedIn and Instagram at Postgrad Cheat Sheet.